for our scripture reading is found in the Gospel of Matthew. So heading over to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from the first 11 verses of Matthew 4. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put your Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Lucas. And good morning, everyone. Uh, it is a pleasure to uh, just be part of uh, this church and this Ask Anything series. I've been blown away with just the comments and the emails and just what God is doing in a special way at Central. And just like last week, uh, we just want to start this sermon saying, hey, if you have kids of young ages all the way up to grade seven, parents, you need to use discretion today. And so I would invite them to go and join the kids' church. You can go to our website, and uh, Tom has done a lot of prep there, and they're going to enjoy it. But yes, Ask Anything, part eight. And today I want to talk about, did the devil make you do it? And actually, oh, I, I'm excited about this sermon. And, and at first, this sermon is going to feel heavy because we're going to be talking about temptation. We're going to be talking about sin. But at the end of the sermon, I'm going to show you a way out. And so today I want to start with, what is temptation? Is it, as the family guy <laughs> says, is it just a button that you want to push? You know, the slogan says, do you really want to spend the rest of your life wondering? Right? You, you just want to test it. You just want to try it and see what happens. But the rock star Mick Jagger says this, it's all right letting yourself go as long as you can get yourself back. It, it sounds so appealing it sounds like, you know, you can flirt with temptation and kind of go as far as you want and, and, and you can pull back, right? But it's also the motto of our culture. You know, you see these slogans 
In all kinds of advertisements, you see it in when people sell chocolate or personal hygiene products. You know, some of the slogans are, you know, can you resist? Do you dare? Or forever share the fantasy? You know, right? The, the, the devil's kind of playing with all of these temptations, and, and they get in your head, and something inside of you wants to believe if you engage, you will be satisfied. You know, if you look at that image, you will experience pleasure. You know, if you have more followers on your social media account, you're better off. Or if you just take another bite, everything is going to be okay. Unfortunately, temptation looks good at first, but as you know, it doesn't end well. Today, what you're going to see is sin is more like morphine or an addictive drug, where you just want more and more, but at the end of it, it leaves you numb. It leaves you numb in your relationships and also in your relationship with God. So today, I want to show you that the problem is not temptation in itself. It's not just a desire to do something that is wrong. The problem is taking the bait and buying into this idea that you are better off without God. That this idea, this sin fractures, fractures your relationships with others and also God. So here's a summary of all the questions that you've submitted. How do we decipher what is Satan and what is our sinful nature? Secondly, how do we fight sin? Third, how do we practically change impure thoughts? Well, first, how do we decipher what is from Satan? And again, I'm going to tweak the question just a little bit to, did the devil make me do it? So let's start with the question, what is sin? Well, sin, as the Bible describes it, started in the garden. You know, God made everything good. But then the story progresses. And in the middle of the story, humanity rebels against God. And that's where we are. We are in the middle of the story. And at the end of the story, Jesus comes back and makes all things right. But at the core of sin is this rebellion. This rebellion in our own hearts where we want to be like God. It all started with Adam and Eve, who desired to take God's place as king. It wasn't just like this tree that, that they engaged in, but God said, no, if you take from that tree, eat from that fruit, you are doing something more significant and severe than just eating an apple or whatever it was. It's because at the heart of it, Sin is loving or wanting something more than God. 
To put it in other words, at the core of sin is this desire to fulfill our own earthly desires over what God wants for us. It's this desire, I'm going to say it again, to fulfill our own needs over what God wants. So back to the question. Did the devil make you do it? Well, look with me at Matthew 4, verse 1. And it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the Greek word for tempted just means that Jesus was tested. But I thought it was really interesting that Jesus was led by the Spirit of God to this place of solitude, the desert, so that he could prepare for what was about to happen. And in that place in which he was preparing to die on the cross, Satan tested Jesus. Well, who is Satan? Actually, it's a great question. Is Satan just this impersonal force or this general uh, substance in which we just put a label on it? Or is he just some guy in a red suit with a pitchfork? And then when you're tempted, he just appears on your shoulder. Hey, punch your brother. Or, and then the angels on the other side say, no, don't do it. No, look at that picture. No. Satan is a spiritual being. Jesus even addresses Satan as such. He talks to him like a person. But I want you to notice, Jesus is not being forced or controlled by Satan, but rather he is being tested. But I also want you to notice, when we talk about who is Satan, what does Satan do? I just threw out a bunch of things that Satan does throughout the Bible. It says he lies. He works behind the scenes. He contends. He prowls. He schemes. He blinds unbelievers. He deceives. He tempts and he confuses. Okay, so... Can the devil make us sin? Well, here's part of the answer. Satan does encourage us to sin. And all those things that we just talked about, he uses all those means to try to lure us in, to try to, to, to test us and to see if he can enslave us. God. He t- Things like pornography, with sex outside of marriage, money, power, and the list goes on. But the thing is, it's actually all throughout the Bible. This isn't something that is a today problem. This is a forever problem. And if you're to look in the Bible, yes, it did start with Adam and Eve. And it just continued. Think of David and Bathsheba and how that all played out. 
Think of Paul writing the Corinthian church and addressing problem after problem. People were just sleeping with everyone. The church was a mess. So the question is, how do we know if it's Satan who's causing this mess? Or is it our own sinful nature? Is there a point in which Satan goes beyond just encouraging us to sin? You know, where he can jump into our body and control us? And take that next step where he is responsible and not us? Well, for example, the way the Bible puts it, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? Well, to be honest, this question actually comes up quite a lot. It comes up when people go too far. It comes up in which someone doesn't want to be responsible for the behavior. But actually, the answer is no. If you are a follower of Christ, Satan cannot control you or possess you in that way. Look with me at 1 John 4.4. 4. It says this, The Spirit of God who lives in believers is stronger than the devil. And Colossians 1.13 says, Believers are no longer citizens of the domain of darkness, but are citizens of Jesus' kingdom. So the Bible rejects the idea that a Christian can be possessed, controlled, or dominated by a demon. But to put it in different words, think of it this way. Yes, demons can influence and attack Christians. Yes, demons can influence and attack Christians. Okay, so then the second part of the question, as we know, no, the, the devil did not make us do it in that kind of sense. But how do we know if it's our sinful nature? How do we know if it's our sinful nature? Look with me at Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. And Paul is talking about this past life, the, the life that we have before Christ. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you were once walked. And you followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And so, so look, again, this is the past life. This is when you were dead in your sins, that you once walked. And what does it mean? You followed the course of the world. You followed the culture, no matter what they said. But then you followed the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, into what? Disobedience. Then it says, whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And I want you to focus on that word flesh. The Greek word for flesh here is sarx. 
It, it talks about that sinful nature in which you're living for your flesh. And when you carry that out, it's that sinful self-interest, that self-indulgence. You are living for your sinful nature. And yes, some desires of your flesh are good when they're lived out in the context of God's boundaries. But most of the time, when we live for our flesh, it ends badly. It means that you're carrying out the desires of the body. You are living for yourself and not God. And so any decision that you make that is outside of God's standard is a result of your sinful nature. I'll say that again. Any decision that you make that is outside of God's standard is living for your sinful nature. Let me illustrate it this way. I remember a youth leader telling me a story of him who was in the back seat with his girlfriend. And he was saying, oh yeah, Steve, you know, the, the music was playing. It was the devil's music. You know, it set the mood and the tone. And then we started making out. Then suddenly making out led to the next step. And then suddenly we found that we went too far. And at the age of 17, he got his girlfriend pregnant. And one of the things that he said is like, oh, you know, it was the devil's music. And even as a teenager, like, no, bud, it was a lot more than the devil's music. You were alone in the backseat of a car with a girlfriend with raging hormones. And yes, the music influenced the atmosphere in which you were led into sin. So who is responsible? Was it the music? No. They were both responsible for their actions. So the answer to the question, did the devil make you do it? The answer is no. Demons contempt, influence, even attack God's people, but they do not control Christians. So as you can see, the devil does not directly make you sin. So next, how do we fight sin? How do we fight sin? Well, first, I want you to notice that Jesus fights with a weapon. Jesus fights with a weapon. Look with me again at Matthew 4 verses 2 to 4, and this is temptation number one, where Jesus fights these fleshly desires. It says this, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, as in Jesus, was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The first thing that I want to say is that Jesus, again, was led by the Spirit. This is really important. But then he was also dependent on the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was also prepared to fight these temptations. But here Satan appeals to the lust of the flesh. You know, Jesus is hungry. 
because he's been fasting for 40 days. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever tried even fasting for a week? (laughs) It's brutal. If it was me, I'd be like, okay, I'm done, even after day 10 probably. And I would would take the food. I'm just being honest. But Satan slips in when Jesus is weak. He plays to his hunger. And he starts to say, hey, Jesus, command that these stones become bread so that you can satisfy yourself. But Jesus fights with scripture and says, man shall not live by bread alone. So temptation number two, Satan comes at Jesus again. Look with me at Matthew 4, verses 5 to 6. And he says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And he will command his angels concerning you, and their hands will bear you up lest you strike your foot again. But again, Satan is attacking Jesus when he's weak. He actually starts to attack his identity. Saying, hey Jesus, if you're really God, come on. Do what you do. Use your power to get out of the situation. He's trying to get Jesus to misuse his authority to show his status and power. And so God the Father has a plan for Jesus to die on the cross. And here Satan is trying to derail the plan. He's saying, hey, Jesus, do your own thing. He's trying to get him to take the easy way out of suffering. He's actually trying to get Jesus potentially to kill himself. Think of Lance Armstrong, who was stripped of all his titles because he took performance drugs just so he could win. Many Olympic winners have lost their gold medals because they took that shortcut that Satan is offering. But again, Jesus responds with Scripture. Let's move on to temptation number three. Wealth. Look with me at Matthew 4, 8 to 10, which says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And then he says, Hey, Jesus, I will give you all of this if you fall down and worship me. Now, what would it take for you to fall down and worship Satan. You know that yacht? That, that house by the beach? Maybe an entire city? What would the price be for you to give all of it up? You know, Satan is smart. He appeals to those desires of materialism in us. You know, you just want that one more thing, and then you will be satisfied. You will be happy. And that's exactly what he's doing to Jesus. But then again, Jesus responds with Scripture. He says, Be gone, Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then what happens? Satan leaves. Satan is defeated by the truth. But I want you to notice that Jesus overcame all three temptations with Scripture. That he used Scripture as a weapon to fight off the lies. Ephesians 6, 17 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and fight. But this was the moment of victory because Jesus knew the Word of God. Now, now think of our own life and all the temptations that are constantly coming at us. Satan will use a hook and put something on it and dangle it in front of us so that he can ensnare us and capture us. But it's not just one temptation, is it? It probably looks more something like that, right? Where there's things coming at us all over the place, right? And and you even struggle to kind of see through. And the truth is, we are all assaulted by images, thoughts, desires outside of the will of God. This includes temptations such as sex outside of marriage, pornography, gossip, anger, addictions, jealousy, coveting. The list goes on and on and on. But what happens when we don't fight with a weapon? We become defeated. So this is how you can resist temptation like Jesus. That you can prepare, just like Jesus did, by committing portions of Scripture to memory. Then you can meditate on the verse each day to renew your mind. And then when temptation comes, you can quote the verse out loud when you are tempted. And then repeat. Prepare. Meditate. Quote. Repeat. Prepare. Meditate. Quote, repeat. So my question to you is, do you know the word of God off by heart? Does it swim in your head like your favorite song? So that when temptation comes, you can fight back. You can fight off those thoughts, those desires that you know don't line up with God. John Piper says this, Hold the promise and the pleasure of Christ firmly in your mind until it pushes the other image out. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Many fail because they give in too soon. They say, I tried to push it out and it won't work. I ask, how long did you try? How hard did you exert your mind? The mind is a muscle. You can flex it and strengthen it. And he says, be brutal. Hold the promise of Christ before your eyes. Hold it. Hold it. Don't let it go. Keep holding it. How long? As long as it takes. Fight. 
Fight for the sake of Christ. Fight till you win. Isn't that good? First Corinthians ten thirteen also gives us that hope. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, we've all faced this. We're facing the same types of things. Ah, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, there is no temptation that through Christ you cannot overcome. So as you can see, we can fight sin by fighting with Scripture. We can fight temptation by fighting with Scripture. So we're going to go a little deeper now. How does this work? How does this look like in our life? The last question, how do we practically change impure thoughts? That's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it. Well, first, what do we mean by impure thoughts? Well, impure thoughts are those thoughts that are not consistent with what God has said is right. And again, as a side note, desires can be both good and bad. For example, have you ever read the book in the Bible called Song of Solomon? Right? A husband and wife desiring each other. That is good. It's God's good gift and good things come from that. But outside of marriage, those desires can hurt you and destroy you and take you down the wrong path. Well, when sex is pursued outside those boundaries, it causes brokenness. It causes us to turn our backs on God. And actually, one of the number one ways I, I notice that young adults fall away from God is this exact issue. Is that for some reason, they get into a relationship and they start becoming intimate and they cast their faith to the side. Almost every time. Because they choose to have sex outside of marriage rather than choosing to obey God. But here's the challenge. Our culture says it's just sex. It's just sex. What's the problem? Well, this exact slogan started the sexual revolution in the 1960s. This slogan launched things like Playboy. It launched all kinds of different types of images that have never been in magazines or movies before. And unfortunately, our culture still embraces that same idea, that same motto, it's just sex. You know, right? It's, it's just a transaction between people. It, it's, what's the big deal? It's like shaking hands, right? Unfortunately, even our culture is starting to disagree that it's not just sex. A 2018 study published by Psychology Today says this, pornography increases loneliness. 
It causes relationship distress and disrupts attachment between two people. Did you catch that? It's increasing loneliness. It's causing relationships to fracture. But it's just sex. And they go on to say, overall, the chance of divorce doubles for both men and women who view pornography. But it's just sex. Other studies say that it actually rewires your brain. It causes these unrealistic expectations between partners, which no one can live up to. And then it destroys intimacy in which God said was good. It starts to make you think that men and women are objects rather than relational beings who God made in his image. But it's just sex. And to go even deeper into this issue, porn also supports sex trafficking of young girls across the globe. If you knew what happened there, you would probably never look again if you call God, God, because it's so wrong. But on the flip side, the stats are also in our favor. It shows that married couples who work on their marriage have better sex than anyone. Did you catch that? Within God's boundaries, even science is saying marriage produces better sex. So back to the question, how do you battle impure thoughts? Well, I want to give you six things that can help you win. Because to be honest, if you're human, you probably battle. First, realization number one. Realize that you need to take your impure thoughts captive. Realize that you need to take your impure thoughts captive. And again, the principle is, is quite simple, but practically speaking, it's quite difficult. When you're in that moment. But Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 to say, Bring every thought into captivity through the obedience of Christ. So again, it's what Jesus was doing. But here, practically, what you need to do when sinful thoughts enter into your mind and you know it's going to lead you down the wrong path, you need to crucify it. You need to tell yourself the truth about where that's going to lead. You need to tell yourself that God's way is better. That you too are made in the image of God. And that person that you are objectifying is also made in the image of God. That they are someone else's future spouse or might already be someone else's spouse. But you need to replace that thought with truth. But if you keep feeding the lustful thoughts in your mind, they will grow into actions. 
and those actions lead to more brokenness. This is why you need to take every thought captive. Every thought. Realization number two. Realize that you need to remove the things that are defeating you. Remove the things that are defeating you. This would be books or magazines, sensual music, pictures, ungodly friendships, even apps on your phone. As you remove those sources of temptation, you can avoid entering into that pitfall. I was working with a guy who was dealing with this at a whole nother level. And I respect him because he was so honest with me. And it took about a year of battling. And he, he would have these little wins. And then he would digress. But then we would trace it. Hey, where did you digress? Well, I was late. I was up late at night. I was on the computer. My wife was in bed sleeping. And I fell. I said, oh, interesting. So how are you going to remove that computer? Ah, yeah. You know what he did? He unplugged it. He not only did that, he gave his wife all the passwords to his phone, browsers, uh, computers, all the things that he put in place so that he could not deceive her. And then he started to get some victory. So realization number three, realize that you need to tell someone that you need to bring out what is happening in secret and in the dark so it doesn't thrive into the light. And as we were talking about last week, you need to find a safe person that you can trust, that can keep you accountable. Maybe they can walk you through how they found victory. Someone that can check in on you, that every time you stumble, you can go, yep, it happened, can you pray for me? Can you walk me through the truth? Someone that you can be honest about with your struggle. And James 5 says, confession leads to healing. Confession leads to healing. Right, realization number four. Realize that you are not alone in this. Another pastor writes this. Your shame wants you to think you are one person with this outlandish, abnormal desire for sex. That way you keep it to yourself. Well, it's not true. Again, the stats are sad. The stats say that 64%, and get this, Christian men, Christian men are addicted to pornography. 64%. And before you look down on men, the stats also say that 33% of Christian women are addicted to pornography. And these are those who admit to being addictive. But the key thing is, is that you are not alone. And that we can find victory through Christ, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Realization number five. Realize that you need some tools to beat this. Realize that you need some tools. Quitting 
these types of addictions is like tearing down a house. That you need to get rid of all of the bad and start to rebuild and start to put the right tools in place so that you can build something healthy. And so they're suggesting get some accountability software like Covenant Eyes. I can even help you uh, install it and, and make sure that it's effective. Put that on your phone. Put it on every single computer in your house if you need to. Delete certain apps that lead you to the wrong place. Start reading books like Every Man's Battle and Every Woman's Battle to try to put the things in place so that you can have victory. Use the tools. And lastly, realization number six. Realize you need a changed heart. Realize you need a changed heart. You can put all these things in place. But if your heart still wants to fall into temptation, guess what? You will. The problem is that there's something deeper inside of us going on, that, that we, something that needs to change. This is not something that we just need to increase our willpower. There's our, our, our affections need to change. Another pastor, Eric Raymond, says, each one of us, whether a Christian or not, are governed by our hearts. It's been rightly said that our hearts are the control tower of the person. It's the seat of our emotions, which then govern our actions. In other words, there's a reason deep down that you keep turning to these vices. You know, it may be stress. It may be you don't think well of yourself. It may be you're lonely. But there's something deep down, that needs to be fixed. And unfortunately, we naturally fasten our lust upon the thing that we want now or the thing that we think that we need. And unfortunately, our heart shows this ability to deceive even us. You know, in one moment, you can think, yeah, I don't want that anymore. The next moment, yeah, I do. No, I don't. There's this war going on inside of us. But the ultimate way for believers to battle against the evil one is to resolve in our hearts and our minds that we will trust that God is good. That we make a decision and know, I, I know that God's way is better. Therefore, I will leave that in the past. Deep down, we need to understand that God, God's way is so good. And that when we realize that we can enjoy those good gifts that he's given to each one of you. That he is not selling you short. So how does God change our heart desires? Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It starts with confessing our sins and turning back to God and realizing he is so good. 
We need to learn this. It seems like every day. God, I can trust you. God, your way is better. God, your good gifts bring healing to my soul. In Matthew, right at the beginning, when Jesus was led into the wilderness, I just want to remind you that he again was led by the Spirit, just like we are led by the Spirit. That Satan wants us to think that we can handle temptation on our own. And as soon as we start to think that way, he seduces us. He finds a way into the weakness. But if we are led by the Spirit, he can give us the power to overcome. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit means that we need to listen to what God is saying and act on it. We need to listen when he says stop and act on it. In closing, I'm going to invite the worship team up. A Bible teacher named A.W. Pink says this, The Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. The Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. And I think we need to actually rethink repentance. That somehow we think that, you know, when we repent, we should, you know, go into the corner, you know, and put our leg up because we've been bad. But repentance isn't shameful. It's actually smart. Repentance doesn't put you in the corner. It directs you to the very good news that you need to overcome temptation. And I think the problem is, is that too often we just sit in our shame and our guilt and we don't go to the good news good enough or fast enough. Right? We start to talk down we start to let those lies continue to brew, which keeps leading us away from God. So this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to turn back to God. To let this truth change your thinking again and again, so that we can continually create this rhythm of confessing, repenting, and growing in Christ, confessing, repenting, and growing in Christ. Because the truth is, we're all in progress. None of us have this all figured out. So in closing, I want to give you a moment to talk to God. Talk about what's going on in your heart. Where are those areas in which Satan is hooking you, where he's dangling things and it seems to constantly enslave you? Talk to God about it. This morning, let the light expose what has been going on in the darkness so that you can experience freedom. 
so you can experience God in new ways, so you can experience what it means to be in healthy relationship where your soul is being healed because you love God so much. And that brokenness starts to become undone because that's what the good news does. Can you run to the good news? Can you run to God knowing that he deeply loves you? Can you run and flee temptation? And when you stumble, you get right back up and grab hold of that truth that he still loves you. I'm just going to lead you in a time of prayer. Let today be the day that you take a step forward in your freedom. And so just take a moment to confess your sin before God. This is just you and God talking. Acknowledge where you've been getting hung up. Name it. The first step is admitting that you've fallen short. The next, repent and turn back to God. Ask for forgiveness. Remind yourself that his way is better. Thank him for dying on the cross so that you can be redeemed. And through the cross, every chain is broken. The power of sin was defeated. And third, ask God to show you what are some of the things that you need to put in place. so that you can experience some victory in your life. You may need to talk to a safe person today. You may need to put some tools in place. You may need to spend some time in God's words and preparing yourself memorizing scripture, bathing in it so that you can experience this newness and be equipped when the enemy attacks. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing right now. Thank you that this victory has already been won and that, God, we just need to enter in and realize that we need to grab hold of that victory, that that victory is found in you. So this morning I ask that there would be victory in this room and those who are watching at home for men and women. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's close with this song, How Deep the Father's Love.